part three section one chapters one through three of the origins of christianity by thomas whitaker this librivox recording is in the public domain von manen on the pauline literature part three the epistles to the corinthians section one the first epistle introduction almost daily the stream increases of those who while accepting the two epistles to the corinthians as ultimately pauline in origin cannot recognize true unity of composition in the extant texts but split them up into letters and fragments of letters put together by editors others to explain the want of unity have recurred to the hypothesis of interpolations j w straitman for example in his critical studies on the first epistle from eighteen sixty three to eighteen sixty five treated chapter eleven verses twenty three through twenty eight and chapter fifteen verses three through eleven as interpolations of the second century a more radical criticism finds itself necessitated to deny altogether the pauline origin of both epistles in the foregoing investigations on the epistle to the romans points have already come into view which taken strictly decide in advance against their genuineness a separate investigation however will not be superfluous there remains the hope of contributing further to draw aside the veil behind which the history of the oldest christianity is still too much accustomed to seclude itself the first epistle one the nature of the work even apart from the title there is no doubt that the writer of the first epistle of paul to the corinthians meant his composition to have the form of a letter a little examination shows however that the epistolary form as in the case of romans is merely external the really general as distinguished from the apparently particular destination of the epistle comes out in the address to the church of god at corinth with all that in every place call upon the name of jesus christ our lord both theirs and ours chapter one verse two and the contents for the most part consist of perfectly general admonitions this is intelligible in what we call an open letter but not in a letter as commonly understood addressed to a local circle of readers even when the writer is an apostle the more or less extensive dissertations of which the larger part of the work consists do not apparently start from casual suggestions only in one case do we find a formula to indicate that the author has been asked for his opinion on the topics discussed chapter seven verse one in general he appears to be setting forth his positions without inducement of this kind and even the one exceptional case looks like conventional framework more than it impresses us with the reality of a correspondence between the apostle and the church the epistle has been described 
as a codification of rules of life for a Pauline community. Granted, but that is precisely what we should expect in a book, not in a letter, especially from one who hopes to visit his correspondents shortly and to stay with them for some time. 2. The Unity of the Book Notwithstanding the evidently composite character of the epistle, abundantly made plain by critics, there is connection between the parts. If that connection is sometimes only by a particle, the particle is still there. The writer is more than a collector of scattered fragments. The celebration of love in chapter 13, for example, may seem strangely placed in the midst of a discussion of spiritual gifts, having particular reference to speaking with tongues. Yet it is fitly introduced, chapter 12, verse 31, and the transition is duly made by which the interrupted discussion is resumed, chapter 14, verse 1. The style is throughout Pauline, as distinguished from Petrine, Johannine, or Synoptic. Moreover, the epistle shows characteristic differences within the Pauline group, as, for example, the use of peri to bring forward a topic. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 25. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. Chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 12. The only instance of a similar use in the principal epistles being Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Thus, the book in its present form is, after all, a unity, though allowance must, of course, be made, as nearly always with ancient texts, for possible interpolations or omissions of words, sentences, or longer passages. But this unity is only relative. The author, if we are to call him so, was at the same time a redactor. Older documents were before him, from which he incorporated selections, or which he re-edited in a second or third edition. 3. Its Composition so obvious is the composition of the epistle out of essentially independent fragments that for critical students the choice may be said to lie between the hypothesis of redaction and that of an infinite series of interpolations the pieces into which the whole may be primarily broken up are chapter one verses one through three chapter 1 verses 4 through 9, chapter 1 verses 10 through chapter 3 verse 23, chapter 4, chapter 5 through 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 through chapter 11 verse 1, chapter 11 verses 2 through 34, chapters 12 through chapter 14, chapter 15, Chapter 16. Within these, again, there are indications of the use of different sources, as well as of the mutual adaptation of the parts. Among more noteworthy points are the following. 
the double address to the corinthians and to all christians suggests a new edition of an epistle first addressed simply to the corinthians the mention of sosthenes chapter one verse one was probably added in order to place by the side of the authoritative paul a second witness to the truth then often thought indispensable see second corinthians chapter thirteen verse one deuteronomy chapter nineteen verse fifteen as in romans the different formulae for the name of christ in the epistle indicate different sources the praise of the corinthians in chapter one verses four through nine does not agree with the serious blame afterwards expressed the connection in chapter one verse ten is mechanical and the catholicizing expression betrays the hand of the redactor the defective unity in the succeeding pieces becomes noticeable when we compare chapter one verse twelve where there is mention of a special party of christ with chapter three verses twenty two through twenty three where only parties of paul and apollos and cephas are mentioned in chapter two verses six through sixteen a higher wisdom of the spirit is extolled whereas in the preceding verses wisdom is depreciated and in those that follow paul tells the corinthians that he cannot yet address them as spiritual men the introduction of the passage in this place is explicable only by supposing that the redactor was here bringing together what had reference to wisdom though it might be in different senses of the term the view that we have to deal with passages from different original sources is confirmed by the observation that the writer of chapter two verses six through sixteen speaks in the first person plural while in the passages that go before and after the first person singular is used in chapter four a difference of tone may be perceived between verses fourteen through seventeen and eighteen through twenty one the substance of the chapter has little or nothing in common with the earlier part of the epistle as again the disquisition in chapters five through six stands by itself and is only connected in a strained and artificial manner with what goes before the internal signs of the use of different sources are here especially numerous to take one case while in chapter five verses twelve through thirteen god is to judge the world with which the saints are not concerned in chapter six verse twelve it is the saints that are to judge the world to the question of chapter six verse five the writer of chapter one verse twenty six ought to have given not the assumed affirmative but a decidedly negative answer examination of these succeeding sections leads constantly to the same recognition that the various discussions are connected only by an external bond and that internally they show signs of redaction 
thus it is with the double discussion of married and unmarried life chapter seven verses one through sixteen and verses twenty five through forty and in the dissertation on eating meat offered to idols contrast for example chapter ten verses fourteen through twenty two especially verse twenty one with the general drift of the preceding argument first all pauline christians know that eating things offered to heathen divinities has no real significance and is in itself blameless but the weak who think otherwise ought not to be offended chapter eight verses one through thirteen in the passage just cited those divinities have become actual demons to partake of what has been offered to them is flat idolatry then in the next succeeding passage chapter ten verse twenty three through chapter eleven verse one the old position is restated that all things are permissible but not all things are expedient and practical directions are given accordingly the continuity of these disquisitions again is broken by matter arbitrarily brought into relation with the rest note for example chapter seven verses seventeen through twenty four chapter nine with the minor insertion of verses twenty four through twenty seven and chapter ten verses one through thirteen and as yet as has been said points of contact may be found which prove composition as distinguished from mere juxtaposition of fragments the verses chapter nine verses nineteen through twenty three are in support of the main argument beginning with chapter eight verses one through thirteen rather than of what has been said just before in the interposed vindication of paul's office as an apostle the way in which expressions taken over from one writer are corrected by another may be seen in comparing chapter eleven verses seven and eight where the superiority of man to woman is asserted with chapter eleven verses eleven through twelve where the two sexes are placed on an equality with the religious point of view the passage on the eucharist in the same chapter is quite irrelevant to the context and is not even itself a unity in verses twenty three through twenty five the partaking of the bread and wine is said to be a commemoration of the death of the lord in verses twenty seven through twenty nine it is said to be a partaking of his body and blood compare chapter ten verse sixteen verse twenty six in spite of the gar stands by itself similarly the next verse in spite of the hosti not before verses thirty three through thirty four does the writer return to the discussion with which he began at verse seventeen of the contentions among those who assemble at the love feasts the whole gives the impression of being a collection of remarks from various sources intended to drive the love feasts into the background because of their irregularities and to bring forward instead 
the celebration of the communion the process of composition is incidentally brought to light by the strange justification offered in verse nineteen for the author's belief stated in the previous verse that accusations of unseemly contentions at feasts are not without ground these divisions called schismata spoken of in one document he confuses by a verbal association with party divisions or schisms then he brings in from somewhere else the expression here out of place about sects or heresies in the next series of chapters chapter twelve through chapter fourteen a new subject comes forward namely that of spiritual gifts here the direction which has nothing to do with the context that women are not to speak in the churches chapter fourteen verses thirty three b through thirty six is at variance with what is presupposed in the foregoing discussion chapter eleven verses two through fifteen regarding their headdress when praying or prophesying see especially verse five this is evidence however not of interpolation but of the presence of the same author redactor with his customary give and take it shows the diligent use made of pre-existing documents the fine passage on love chapter thirteen though it stands apart from the rest is as has been said no mere loose insertion nor has it been taken over unaltered from one source it bears marks of artificial juncture within as without we seek in vain for any connection of thought between verses eleven through thirteen and verses one through ten there is merely a verbal echo between verses ten and eleven thus the chapter like the book appears as an imperfect unity when contrasted with the freely wrought out composition of an individual author the same view applies also to chapter fifteen there is no need to regard verses three through eleven or even verses one through eleven as an interpolation though undoubtedly the contents are out of harmony with what follows the first passage may be described as an appeal to tradition in support of the resurrection the second verses twelve through fifty eight argues the case apart from that appeal this description however refers only to the general drift of the argument neither passage is a well-rounded whole in itself in the first what is said about the appearance to paul in particular can hardly have belonged to the common tradition and we detect the process of expansion in comparing verse five with verse seven in the second passage eschatological ideas resembling those of the apocalypse are mixed up with the less jewish christian view implied in the argument for a spiritual resurrection among minor discontinuities may be noted the insertion of verses thirty three through thirty four with the quotation from menander 
which strangely interrupt the course of the demonstration. As the chapter on the resurrection has nothing to do with that which precedes, so too the concluding chapter stands by itself. Against the view that the whole of chapter 15 is an interpolation, from another epistle as has been conjectured, it may be observed, however, that chapter 14 has just as little to do with chapter 16, with which, on this view, it ought to be connected. The miscellaneous topics of chapter 16 are appropriate enough in themselves for the conclusion of a letter, but exact scrutiny reveals not a few difficulties. Verses 8 through 9 give a different impression of the Apostle's experience at Ephesus from that which we get from chapter 15, verse 32. According to chapter 4, verse 17, Timothy has already been sent. According to chapter 16, verse 10, his arrival is to be expected after the reception of the letter. From chapter 16, verse 12, Apollos would seem to have his sphere of activity in the immediate neighborhood of Paul. In chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, we hear of him as an independent worker coming after Paul. The curse which immediately precedes the close, chapter 16, verse 22, is in harmony neither with the friendly tone of the conclusion, nor with the contents of the epistle generally. b. Witnesses for the existence of a shorter epistle. Traces of manipulation being so numerous, the question naturally arises, is there any evidence that a shorter form of the epistle preceded the canonical form? In the records of Christian antiquity, only Clement of Rome and Marcion offer anything that bears on the point. Clement, in 1 Clement chapter 47, refers his readers to what Paul wrote about parties among them, which, he says, were not so scandalous as those of the present day, since in the earlier time men chose for their party badge the name of a renowned apostle, Peter or Paul, or of one who, like Apollos, was in high repute with the apostles. The noteworthy point here is that Clement does not mention the party calling itself after Christ, and the omission can hardly have been deliberate, for this would have furnished him with a still stronger argument. So far as Clement's testimony goes, it is in favor of the existence of an earlier form of the epistle, as is also the omission of reference to the party of Christ in a corresponding citation by pseudo-origin against the Marcionites. It is not certain, however, that this is from Marcion's text. And, though other references to Marcion tend slightly to confirm the view that he read the epistle in an earlier edition, the differences between this and the later form would seem to have amounted to very little. Thus, on the whole, the external testimony does not carry us far. C. Conclusion 
the hypothesis of composition as opposed to that of interpolation does not necessarily mean that the epistle was arbitrarily put together out of discrepant fragments how a relative independence of the writer is consistent with it may be seen by considering the use made of the hebrew scriptures in the epistle over and above passages in which the writer has clearly had words of the old testament in view many cases are to be found of textual or almost textual reproduction in the passages here referred to there is not the slightest indication of the actual source or of any source if we did not possess the text of the old testament there would be no means of proving that they do not belong originally to the author of the epistle a somewhat similar use of early christian documents by a redactor is thus rendered conceivable on the other hand the continuity of the epistle is too great to allow for the supposition that it was put together from fragments of actual apostolic letters the differences of content between the parts being in spite of this continuity greater than is conceivable if they proceeded originally from one mind the only hypothesis that really satisfies the conditions is that of the author redactor working on written documents in the manner of those who gave form to the synoptic gospels for the view that our canonical epistle is a second edition the following grounds may be assigned the double address the use of different names for jesus christ the mention in one place chapter one verse twelve but not in the corresponding passages of a party calling itself that of christ the remark about the household of stephanas in chapter one verse sixteen which confuses the sense and seems to have had its origin in acquaintance of an editor with chapter sixteen verse fifteen the main hypothesis however applies to the first edition also which must have contained substantially all the dissertations composing the epistle in its present form End of Part 3, Section 1, Chapters 1 through 3.